0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. David Bellis is the founder of the wonderful Hong Kong history website Gwulo.com. Also in recent years, he's created a series of photographic books, paperback volumes called Old Hong Kong Photos and the Tales They Tell. And these have included all sorts of urban and rural scenes, often involving some form of human activity. On this week's programme, David Bellis finds a bench with a bit of shadow and a bit of sun in the grounds of St John's Cathedral. For the bits in the sun, David has an all-weatherproof hat with a string on his chin to stop it blowing away. This is Volume 5 of Old Hong Kong Photos and the Tales They Tell, and the last in the series, but hopefully not the last of David. After 30 years in Hong Kong, he and his family will be moving to the UK in the summer, where he originates. But with tens of thousands of pages and projects on his history website grulo.com and all the treasures he's found on eBay and at postcard markets, I look forward to some new projects to come from David Bellis. So volume five of old Hong Kong photos and the tales they tell is about people.
1: Yes, rounding out the set with a volume five. In fact, we've had a little break. We did once a year up until 2020. And then, it wasn't COVID, I was busy with the website upgrade, but I have always had in mind that five's a nice round number, so here we are, volume five.
0: And that's all about people.
1: It is, yeah. You look at the old photo books, and they're beautiful, the old pictures of buildings, but you do get a bit statue squared out after a while, so <laughs> it's nice to, I think, or more
0: personal to get into the stories about people. I think people have a natural connection to those. Absolutely, and also you've done a good job, I mean not, it's not always feasible, but actually if you have found a photo on eBay or elsewhere that you've actually tried to find the identity sometimes of these people.
1: Yes, it varies. I've got one in one here, the one we're going to look at first, is, uh, it's from a photo album and the lady very kindly put a newspaper clipping in, so the whole story's there. <laughs> no hard work with that one. Yes. Another one at the end, that was a bit more of a de- detective story, so that's, that's fun and we do have a few which are still mysteries. There was one photo I wanted to include for a chapter about the Portuguese in Hong Kong, or Macanese really, and I hoped that that's who we were looking at, but as far as we can work out, they're probably Italian, so that have Ah. to wait for another book.
0: So you just keep them there and hope to uh, work out the mystery later?
1: Yes, it's surprising. Some of the things we post, especially onto the website, they can lurk there for five, six, seven years. You're always just waiting for the right person to stumble along. the website and go ah i know just what you need and give us all the answers
0: i think what i've always enjoyed also with the people that have appeared in your previous four volumes is that often it's the working man it's not always the top of the government although you have some posh ones in there as well but it's the stories of everyday life sometimes in hong kong and this particular book really does focus on that
1: yes very true it gets easier and i've worked out why as i've been working on this book and it's the brownie you know the kodak brownie comes out start of the 1900s and all of a sudden instead of the very formal go and sit in the studio and have your picture taken and send it home to mom and your girlfriend back you know this is what the soldiers and sailors would be doing all of a sudden the soldiers and sailors they've got their own cameras and so that the quality of the pictures takes a nosedive you know, they're, they're not great cameras <laughs> and they're not great photographers you get this great breadth of scenes and you get a really a look into their lives that you never got before, so it's quite exciting.
0: Because brownies were really affordable, weren't they?
1: Yes, people couldn't believe it. And they were marketed, hence the brownie name, This was sort of a a children's book character and they were marketed as playthings. But the people who used them were all the adults. And so very quickly Kodak cottoned onto this and and came out with smarter and more complicated models, but they kept the brownie name
0: with uh, the first photo you've got here of uh, the swords crossing right where we're sitting, isn't it, really?
1: It's perfect. I, I just walked over to, to take a look to see what we could still see today. So the photo is of an arch of swords, of so officers holding their swords up, and their senior officer is walking out underneath them with his new bride. He's just got married in St John's Cathedral where we're, we're sitting right now. So if you walk over to the entrance and stand there, the tiles on the floor, the arches of the door, are all just exactly the same. It's really transported back in time.
0: So this is a family album that you purchased?
1: Yes, it's from 1926 was the, the wedding, I think it was. Uh, Hollyoak was the family. So this is Miss Hollyoak, and this is the um, Armstrong. He's got a military cross. You can see his medals on his chest. Oh, from here. the First World War. Yes, so he was a, a recent arrival. He'd been in Hong Kong, I think, about a year with his regiment but she was actually born and christened here. She was christened in St. John's with her twin sister, so she had a long connection. The thing that is different is we actually get a view of the stained glass window in the back, and they were all lost during the Japanese occupation. Ah. Now, and really annoying, it's, it's in the distance and it's fuzzy, so we can't get a clear view of it. But,
0: but. still, it's a record, and isn't it? It is,
1: and, and you, can, you can distinctly see the difference if you look at the modern one with this one here
0: now as you mentioned the helpful aspect of not only receiving this family album in its entirety which is also helpful but also you've got a newspaper clipping telling you about this wedding of Miss Hollyoak at uh, St John's and she's resplendent there in her 1920s wedding dress lovely and uh, with a big bouquet. What regiment was Captain Armstrong with?
1: So here we've got him Captain Charles Douglas Armstrong MC of the 1st Battalion the East Surrey Regiment and the Regiment were just about to head to India. I don't know if that was the. Oh, so off the, they went. Yes, and and that's one of the the comments I make is that she's lived all her life. I'm assuming Hong Kong, perhaps school back in Britain. She's 21, and she's about to head off to India as a new army wife. So what a change of circumstances. Yes,
0: yeah, interesting. What else is in that album then? Is it family
1: shops? Yes, there's quite a few from around London they had a, a house there and I, I wonder if the house is still there. That would be something to go and pay a visit yes. to at some point. Now sadly there's also quite a section on her father's funeral, so he had died just a few months before this wedding. He'd, he'd been in bad health for quite some time, so that's kind of a sad aspect to it.
0: It was interesting being able to have a, a sort of snapshot of this of this family at that time here at St. John's Cathedral. So throughout your book, when you're saying people, that's a wide remit. What was your idea? Because I would imagine that over the years you've collected a mass load of photographs at postcard fairs, from eBay, and uh, you will have also refined your knowledge over the years through also having grulot.com, the huge Hong Kong history website of yours.
1: I knew I wanted to write about people and it's based on a talk that I'd put together about people and my old pictures, but as I started working on it, it shifted a bit. I'm gonna be heading to the UK about the middle of next year to go back there to live. So I've really been thinking about Hong Kong as home and UK as home and where do we call home? And, and then looking at all these photos of people Especially the, the sort of the visitors, you know did they call it home or is it just a place for work and we 've got all the the Chinese people coming from South China to Hong Kong, were they just here to make money or would they go back home and have a bride and so all, all these sort of questions were coming up as i 've been picking the photos and their stories
0: yes, so from that perspective a little bit emotional this book
1: yes, it really is, and perhaps been a little bit more personal as well in some of the the stories here when I look back through the books and I've asked my wife which one she likes best she's she's not particularly historian but she just says oh I like book one when I read book one it's like you're talking to me so I've tried to do that in this book and perhaps be a little bit less historical and proper (laughs) and just just hopefully tell interesting stories
0: yeah so it's you talking yeah I do sense that that it is is very much having conversation about these photographs so we've been having a look at the photo of a wedding in 1926 here at St. John's Cathedral where David Bellis and I are sitting on a lovely morning having a chat. And uh, what else have you got, David?
1: I thought we'd stick to just just the neighborhood. Yeah, so this is a a photo of the volunteers and it was at the volunteers headquarters, which was the next building up the hill from the cathedral. It's where the government center is now.
0: The volunteers were ordinary Hong Kong citizens who would basically train at the weekends with military training.
1: Yes, that's right. So they'd be called upon to help defend Hong Kong if if needed. And of course, when the Japanese invaded, the the volunteers played a a great part in Hong Kong's defense. So the men we've got here, quite a mix. We've got people in kilts. We've got over to the right of the picture, we've got some slouch hats. This is the Australian or the New Zealand style. Some people Eurasian, some people from the, the Portuguese. So there was a real mix, but they were grouped together. So there would be a Scottish detachment. You can see them again, all here with their their kilts. Lots of the group here have got machine guns. This seems to be what they were were working with. We've got the the larger ones and then a lighter one that was used for anti-aircraft duties.
0: Do we know what year this is?
1: Well, the the slouch hats sort of pin it down to early mid-1930s because that group was quite short-lived. They're called slouch hats. So it's not a, a pith helmet that the other men are wearing. It's the, how would say it, it's a hat with one side of the brim turned up. Yes. When you see Australian soldiers or, or New Zealand soldiers, this is their distinctive hat. <laughs> so yeah, that, that company was only here thirty-two, thirty-five. so.
0: Oh right, so that actually does time the...
1: Yeah, it narrows it down pretty well. This then led into a, a little conversation about you know, the Portuguese and the, the Eurasians here in Hong Kong. And I think in a way, certainly with the Portuguese, the, sort of the, the bad deal that they got. I talk about Eddie Garzano as an example. So he was a doctor here in Hong Kong. He qualified in 1937. And because he was under the local Portuguese heading, he he didn't get the same salary as his British colleagues. Mm. And then he, he helps the soldiers through the war. He goes to Macau. He's a member of the British Army Aid Group there, so a great danger to himself. And at the end of the war, comes back, goes back into public service as a doctor. And again, he's on that same fraction of a... British salary and, not surprisingly, ends up emigrating. So,
0: Oh, that's a bit extraordinary. Yeah. I'd have
1: thought things would have changed slightly after the war. No, there, there was a great push for that to happen. And then I think all the people who felt that were sort of rotated or retiring back to the UK and a, a new group of people came in and it, it all got, well, forgotten, I guess.
0: Eddie Gassane. Oh, Eddie Gassane who uh, was also, yes, during the uh, Second World War, was part of the British Army A Group, which of course was this extraordinary resistance group who sent spies back to Hong Kong, helped uh, American pilots who'd been downed and escape into China and would uh, get up people up into free China, among many other things that they did at great risk to themselves. So Eddie Gossano was was a, a part of that. And yes, yeah, so I think it's good that your book remembers these different kinds of people that might be not in the history books elsewhere.
1: Yeah, so just some of these little stories I think they're, that they're good to tell. But the, the guideline for the book really is things I've read and gone, oh, I didn't know that.
0: Yes, well that's The, the things I want to go and tell someone. So <laughs> put them
1: in the book and then tell lots of people.
0: Where is your best source of photos? Is it eBay these days?
1: eBay is excellent for sure there are postcard collector's fares when you go to Britain. And the number unfortunately is getting less and less because most of the dealers just put stuff straight on eBay.
0: Yeah, understandable. But
1: there, there is one or two of the dealers that I see and they still have stuff that makes you go, "Oh, that's nice. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and the, the, the beauty of it is that you can pick it up and I can look at it under my magnifying glass and I can say, okay, that's really what I want. Yes. Whereas with eBay, quite often it, it arrives and you're a bit disappointed.
0: And also, with eBay, that they're often not right. That has happened. Yeah, you've got a photograph that you describe in your book, photos and the tales they tell, and it's actually of a so-so woman or a so-so lady, and she's sitting on a pavement with a, a younger child. And uh, that was described on eBay as a beggar.
1: Yes, that's right, as a beggar woman. So, you know, have got to keep that in mind. A lot of the material we're looking at was seen through a, through a certain lens. It was the the tourist coming here and making their misconceptions what they were looking at so what's a so-so woman I think when we read sort of like 1920s they quite often called that and all the Hawkers had their cries so I'm guessing that as they walked along they just shout out so 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 and then you would bring your you know maybe a pair of trousers had a little hole that needed sewing or a button had fallen off or you needed something adjusting and they'd sit themselves down outside the house and do the work and move on there was a whole crowds of these itinerant hawkers in hong kong at the time to the point and this is something else which i didn't know that there were laws made uh, for certain areas of hong kong limiting the amount of cries that could be done because someone did the maths and there were sort of millions of these cries happening in a day and it was driving the europeans quite batty so, uh,
0: so uh, yes yeah. you'd have the aeroplane olives the knife sharpener the so-so lady
1: yeah. all the all the different things that so I like those little, uh, those little stories.
0: But there was no reason not to have your breeches sewn up.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this wasn't the days of fast fashion, is it? Those clothes you had would have to last for years and years. So,
0: Oh, here's the Peak Tramway Station. Yeah, so this is the,
1: the third of our little trilogy of, of local scenes. It's the Peak Tramway Station. It's about the early 1900s. And this is one of those examples of buying a picture and being disappointed. So when I bought it, I thought, oh, I used to have a good sharp picture of the old lower peak tram terminus and when it arrived it's pretty fuzzy. It's not a great picture. So you know, why has it gone in the book? Well, it's a little X drawn over here on the front of the tram and on the back there's a note. It says, this is my car at the lower tram station before starting to the peak. The cross is where I stand, F Aslett. And again, I, I glanced at it and I thought, oh yeah, tourist note, he had been on the tram to the peak, you No know, big deal, and tucked it away. But I was looking at it a little bit more carefully as I was looking for material for this book. I thought, hang on, what can we find out about Mr. Aslitt? I looked him up and sure enough he was the brakesman on the peak tramway. So that was his job. He he literally stood there every day. That was his his job to stop the the tram at the stations as it goes up
0: and down the hill. So this is a postcard of the... Hong Kong Tramway and, and it's one of those Union Postal Universelle and I have to say Mr Aslett has lovely handwriting with his fountain pen very uniform and he was the brakesman on there. so so that, yes that's that's a wonderful bit of ephemera there yeah so we we get a little glimpse into his life
1: but such a little glimpse he's in the jurors list for 1910 but not 1909 and not 1911 and I thought oh you no, know, that's not a good thing in in Hong Kong at that time he may have got sick suddenly and that was the end of him So I went looking for more Aslit. Luckily he's Aslit with two Ts, a little bit unusual. Nice and easy to search on the internet. We find there's a Mrs and a Miss Aslit on another area we're always interested in, which is Stanley Camp. So, oh, okay. Sounds like that would be the wife and daughter. So maybe he had stayed on a bit longer. We find out in the the records of Stanley that she was a government pensioner. Okay, so the story's starting to get a bit clearer now. So, Mr. Aslitt, obviously, lived long enough to have a daughter so he lives into the the 30s but he hadn't made it to the war when his wife was a pensioner carrying on the search we find that mrs aslett was actually part of a long-established family here and her father had been a, a british soldier who'd come married into a Macanese family had a big family here and they were carrying on that that line so what started off as a very dull and disappointing postcard actually ends up being the last story in the book because it sort of pulls all the threads together.
0: Isn't that interesting because I mean you've been here 30 years, I've been here 30 years and yet there's these families who come here in in working roles and uh, stay on for multi-generations.
1: Yes yeah really they they lived their whole lives here and whereas we can hop on a plane and go back and see our parents maybe they never went back you know it's a real uprooting to, to come and live here.
0: You've got here multiple drawings of a series, a little series telling something from the Illustrated London News, which actually began in 1842 and went on, I think to the 1990s, something very late or 1980s. It's
1: very long lived, yes. Yes. But its prime was definitely the 1800s, the 19th century. And what are these of? Well, they're all sorts, They're, they're lovely. They're a series of sketches. In fact, the page is called Sketches at Hong Kong. So an artist has made these sketches and then sent them back to London. And then the engravers at the Illustrated London News engraved them onto this special hardwood and uh, print out hundreds of thousands of copies. The engravings are a really good source of early images. So this is a time when photographs were relatively rare and expensive. And we we do get scenes of great value in the Illustrated London News. Gotta be a little bit careful though. If you look at the pictures here, the engravings here, they are children sort of hanging on the backs of older brother and a mother. And of course, in real life, they would have had a cloth carrier holding them up. But I think the person doing the engraving in, in London has never seen that. And so sometimes they get the picture just a little bit wrong. But yeah, some good views. The thing that caught my eye, especially, is the rickshaw at the left here. And it's unusual because there are two people in the rickshaw. So rickshaws originally were quite a bit wider than how we typically think of them and would comfortably fit two people and that's what we're looking at here and that was abolished in 1882 at the end of the year so this sketch must have been done sort of just before the the change
0: happens so it was abolished to have two people in a rickshaw because it was too much weight
1: yes but perhaps not why you think you you might think oh you know too much strain on the rickshaw puller but it was because the narrow wheels were cutting up the road surface (laughs) these were the days of a sort of a, a gravelly road, road surface and they would get churned up and turn into mud and very dusty in the the summer so it's okay well we'll make the wheels a little bit wider we'll cut down the weight with only one person and that'll solve our our road problem
0: who's the photograph on the
1: right he's carrying firewood in fact that's the name of the the postcard carrying firewoods so the firewood has come in by sea it's been unloaded on the seafront at Connaught road you can see it in the background and he's taking it off for delivery. So at this point, most of the cooking in Hong Kong was done on wood fires, and this would be the firewood for for that.
0: And so that was coming in from elsewhere?
1: Yes, I think a lot of it was from Borneo at that time. We were stripping the forests of Borneo to cook our rice here in, in Hong Kong. So that's quite some weight he's carrying there on Connaught Road. The amount of weight they carry on these shoulder poles is quite something, yes. I imagine he's taking it off to a warehouse probably, and then from there it would go out to the customers. Now the thing that caught me about this this photo it's one of those little side alleys i I disappear off is the ground it's got this grid pattern and actually it's related to our engraving over here if you look carefully you can see lines dividing up the page so the wooden blocks they used weren't big enough to make a whole page they would compress multiple smaller blocks together and you can see the sort of the breaks between them here and then i got reading about road surfacing as you do and uh-huh. around the 1920s a lot of the world's cities were paved with wood oh yeah really? no, never knew that no? it's, it's a little wooden blocks so the nice thing about it was it deadened the sound so when you had horses clopping along it was sort of a, a muffle, muffling the sound but
0: what about the hygiene
1: oh you've you spotted the fatal flaw in the argument so yeah where does all the horse urine go? It soaks into the, the wood and it all got horrible. So here in Hong Kong, we didn't use wood, but we had lots and lots of cheap granite. So these little squares here were uh, granite road surfacing. So Connaught Road, sort of the most heavily used road in Hong Kong because it was where all the goods came in and out and everything got carried off to the warehouses, was surfaced in these little granite blocks here. This is a, well, it's a beautiful photo. It's, it's big and sharp. And it's showing the excavations for Hong Kong's largest dry dock. This is the big dry dock out at Tai Koo. And I learned a, a lovely technical term here. So when you want to dig a big hole out of, out of uh, rocky ground, first of all, you dig the trenches down the sides, and then the people building the walls can get to work while you take your time and dig out the rocky core that's left in the middle. And the technical term for the rocky core is dumpling. <laughs> Very Hong Kong, uh... Hong Kong term, isn't it? So this is where the the Hollyoaks come back into the, the story. You, you, you did ask if there was anything else in their album that mm. was useful. So the twins, the Mrs. Hollyoaks, were here in the 1920s, 1925, to launch a, a ship. So their father, the, oh. the Mr. Hollyoak, he was quite a high flyer in, in business here in Hong Kong. And one of his jobs was chairman of the board of the Hong Kong Canton and Macau Steamboat Company Limited. So they had a new ferry built. Um, out at Taiku, and in their album, they got these pictures of them launching the boat. And it made the newspapers because it was the first time in Hong Kong a boat had ever been launched by twins. So apparently they each had their own bottle of champagne and simultaneously smashed them on the ship and <laughs> off it went, sailing into the, the harbour.
0: More auspicious.
1: More auspicious indeed. Yes, eighty-eight galore.
0: That was quite a bit of work digging that out because it would have all been manual labour.
1: It was, and you look at them, and a lot of them are barefoot, or at most, they've just got sandals on. So, oh, yeah, the state of their feet. This is just looking through the sketches, and a few of them I've pulled out for a closer look. And this one is a sketch of a comprador. So he was sort of the middleman between the, the Chinese world and the, uh, the Western businesses that were here. And of course, the probably the best known of those would have been Sir Robert Ho-Tung.
0: So he was, what, Dutch Dutch father, Chinese mum
1: yes exactly so he he also turns up in our stories of the eurasians as well he's a fabulously wealthy man
0: and these were these sort of middlemen yes it's interesting and also i think it's interesting what they're being told in britain that the readers these sort of you're very dependent on what are the snapshots that, for these illustrations that the the aspects that the reader has noticed i mean i noticed with the rickshaw one of the things i noticed was the graphic artist is fabulous at doing the wheels of the rickshaw that takes some accuracy because i presume he had to do it again and again and uh, there wouldn't have been any photocopying also um, but there's a, a rickshaw crash that he's done you know for a bit of drama
1: i find it funny as well looking at the 1882 sketches if we look at the subject that they've chosen for their different sketches these are exactly what we see in the postcards, sort of into the 20s, 30s. So this is very much the, okay, what would someone back in Britain find curious or find a little bit you know, unusual about life in Hong Kong? So it's the baby carriers, it's the, the people carrying things on shoulder poles, the wealthy-looking compradors, the, the people in their rickshaws. Yeah, all, the, all the strange and unusual things to someone sitting back home in a, in a village in Britain.
0: So this is the fifth and final volume. Are all the volumes still available?
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. So if you want to have the full set of five, uh, that's no problem. We'll be doing the teak box set shortly. The first book is very much talking about the, the process of the detective work, how we, we find those different things out. The second one, we've got a, a couple of journeys through Hong Kong, we sort of do it geographically. One is from the peak going over to Kowloon and one is running along Queens Road. The third book is very much about the harbour and the fourth book I think is just a good old selection of all, all the curious things I could find from my collection. And number five is definitely people, that's the focus for the, for the last one.
0: So this wraps up this current series yes. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't be doing other, other projects?
1: No, I, I certainly will keep on writing the weekly newsletters. And what I've found in the past is that after you've got a couple of years of newsletters Somehow they start forming a little pattern, and you think, "Hmm, you could put those together into a book." So maybe some different style, or, or perhaps coming back and looking at some of the pictures in the first books and treating them in different ways. I don't know. I'm sure there'll be there'll be something of will we'll come out of it. But as far as the series, I, we're running out of colours, frankly. You know, we've done, we've done our red, we've done our blue, we've done our green. We went for purple. This one's a kind of a bit of a muddy orangey, whatever. I, yeah, time to stop.
0: But no, I think that's nice also, they're these small books that can easily go on your shelf. But um, in in terms of photos for me, for other people who just want to sometimes have a look at maybe uh, finding their own Hong Kong photos, is it quite straightforward just to be on eBay or or collecting postcards?
1: Oh, certainly, yes, you can go to eBay and literally just type in old Hong Kong postcard and that's your afternoon gone. You'll you'll be looking at thousands of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's time consuming.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Is there still something you're
1: on the lookout for? There's a few things, actually. How it tends to happen is I'll work on the book and then I'll get curious about something and think, so those two seater rickshaws? I'd love to see a photo of that now. I haven't seen that before. One that's been a a long and sort of an ongoing is is wartime Hong Kong. It was such a hard time here. There wasn't really any, I guess, money or energy left for taking pictures.
0: And, of course, those of you who Perhaps uh, new to Grulo.com, you've done a lot of putting up the war diaries mm. from day-by-day accounts that you can look back.
1: So it's an area that I've, I've got very interested in. And I, I hope that somewhere perhaps there's a, one of the Japanese families that came here during the occupation and perhaps left with a, an album and, and we might see that surface.
0: I think there is really scope. There must be more, hopefully, that can be done from the, from the Japanese side.
1: Yes, you've got to think things are tucked away. Perhaps it's a story that, you know, wasn't talked about much. I don't know if, it's, if things got a bit hidden away. Over time, these things always surface, so I, I live in hope.
0: Well, it's been very nice sitting with with you this morning, David, uh, uh, listening to the bird sound here at uh, St. John's Cathedral. It's
1: a beautiful morning, isn't it? Yeah, this, is a, this year, the summer just never seemed to end, but finally it does, and here we are in the glorious autumn weather. <laughs> so, what are you doing for Christmas? Well, I can think that some of my family members will be finding a small book-shaped package under their Christmas tree. Uh, it's always the one that gets left last till we opened. It's a bit disappointing, but in years to come, I'm sure they'll look back and value
0: it. That's antique. <laughs> David Bellis there, talking in the grounds of St. John's Cathedral, Volume 5 of Old Hong Kong Photos and the Tales They Tell, is available for pre-order on the Grulo website and in bookshops shortly. Have a lovely run up to Christmas. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong.